day, May 27th, is almost over, but not before we get an episode of Edge of Your Seat Podcast through the internet airwaves. I'm your host, Brandon LaChance. This is episode 85, and hopefully, as always, we try to have the best show possible, and I think we have another one. Our guest is Brant Vanneman, Hall graduate. He is now a technically a freshman at Parkland, or he would have just ended his freshman year since college is over, but he did go to Kent State University for a year. So school-wise, he's a sophomore. Baseball-wise, he is a freshman because he redshirted at Kent State and got his first look of college baseball at Parkland. Great kid, awesome athlete. I watched him at Hall with the Red Devils. He put up video game numbers. He was a catcher, could throw out anybody, home runs, triples, stealing bases, could do absolutely everything. And it sounds like he was doing the same thing in Parkland. If you listen to episode 84, his Hall teammate and now his Parkland teammate, Jimmy D'Angelo, was talking about a couple diving grabs that he had and said it was some of the best plays that he'd ever seen in person with his own eyes. Actually, I think he said the best play that he saw when he dove. He said it looked like he was floating in the air. That's the kind of athlete Brant Vanneman is. Very lucky to have him as a guest on Edge of Your Seat Podcast. So thank you, Brant, for sharing with us. As always, gotta love our guests. That's what makes this show go. So much appreciation. Before we get to him, let's do the plugs, get them out of the way. Again, this is Edge of Your Seat Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, and Google Music. On social media, Facebook, Edge of Your Seat Podcast, and Twitter, Edge of Your CP. Any other things that you want to bring to our attention, recommendations, who should we have as guests, topics, something we should watch or listen to, to speak about, anything that you want to talk to Edge of Your Seat Podcast about, always shoot us an email, edgeofyourseatpodcast at gmail.com. And also a big thanks to Brian Cavelli, who did the intro and outro beat for Edge of Your Seat Podcast. And since I am in the plugging mood, we cannot forget about our sponsor, Olson Construction. Whether it's a light fixture or an entire kitchen remodel, Olson Construction is here to help. The family-owned and operated company prides itself in offering family prices with family honesty. Olson Construction specializes in roofing, siding, windows, doors, deck designs, remodels, garage additions, and room additions. Owner Keith Milas has been in construction for over 10 years and is willing and able to take care of your home renovations from start to finish with your thoughts and opinions taken with every step of the way. Although based in the Troy Grove, Mendota area, Olson Construction does travel 50 miles outside of that to take care of your home needs. For a free estimate, call Olson Construction, which is fully licensed and insured at 815-910-5982. Olson Construction can also be contacted on Facebook at the Olson Construction LLC page or via email olsonconstruction19 at gmail.com. Two things I want to talk about before we get to Brant Vanneman. First of all, I know if you've been on social media at all today. Actually, I heard about this from a friend. I was walking home from work, just went and worked out. 
little sweaty, needed to come home and take a shower before I get on the mic, and a friend stops me and says, dude, did you listen to the news or, or hear what happened? And I'm like, no. He's like, man, this, this black man was strangled by a cop. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm thinking he's talking about around here, around the Illinois Valley or somewhere close to us. It doesn't matter where it happened. It's still wrong. There are photos of this all over the internet with a white cop with his knee like on this guy's neck, on his neck, like suffocating him. It's insane. We're 2020. That's 2020. It is never right to hate on anybody, especially a race. I don't know if this was a hate crime. I don't know the behind the scenes deal. I don't know if he spit at the cop or hit the cop or anything like that. All we're seeing is that photo and the policeman's knee over his neck looking like he's breaking his neck. That's not right either. He could have put his knee, his shoulder blade or a little further down, not trying to kill the man. Don't know what happened before. But still, no reason for all of that. We're all integrated in the United States. Yes, it was a white man's place and all this other stuff. And I am a white man. But we are all integrated. Every single town, every single state, every single everything has whites and blacks and Asians and Mexicans and Filipinos and Cubans and Europeans and everything. We are all human. We all have blood. We all have to breathe the same air. We all have to eat food to live. We all like entertainment, like podcasts and sports. We're all human beings. Race shouldn't have meant anything back in the day, and it definitely does not now. Some of my best friends are different races. When I was in college, almost all of my friends were black. All my close ones a couple of them were Colombian, a couple of them were Mexican, and they are some of the greatest people that I've ever known in my life. I'm hoping that this is just a dumb cop being a bad cop and not a racial deal, but it's going to be through the media's eyes and through people like my eyes, because that's what you see, a white man's knee over this black guy's neck. Like, that's what you see. Maybe this cop has done it to everybody. We don't know that either. We don't know the whole story. We don't know outside perspectives. I'm hoping that that's just a bad cop. Fizzle him out, lock him up, do what you have to do, get him out of the way. But unfortunately, I know there's more like that. There are racist cops and not just white racist cops. There's black racist cops and Mexican racist cops, just like when we turn to troublemakers and gangbangers. They're all different colors too. You could be walking down the street and get robbed by a white man or an Asian man just as much as you could a black man or a Mexican man or Jewish man. It really doesn't matter. It's about the type of people we are growing here. We should have morals and be good people and, and worry about each other. Especially if you're a cop. Your job is to serve and protect. If the guy was doing something wrong, okay, arrest him. He got physical with you, okay. Tackle him to the ground, put some cuffs on him. You don't need to shatter his neck, you don't need to kill him. That's the way to go about it? No, never. There's a reason that we outlawed the wild, wild west and we're not shooting people all the time. There's a reason that there was a war on drugs so people weren't killing themselves or killing other people with needles. There's, there's reason that these things have happened. There's no reason that cops have to be that brutal. Never. Remember when I was a kid, I got into a fight at school. I was probably eighth grade. I'm gonna say eighth grade. 
Got into a fight at school. I don't know who won. Okay, I did. I kind of threw him through a locker. But I left. I walked right out of the school. Like, no, I'm not going to the principal's office. None of this. I walked straight out of the school. Walking home. Two cop cars come flying down the road in front of me. I'm like, well, here it goes. I'm not going to run. So I just walk right to him. And instead of, you know, turn around, put your hands behind your back, you know, you're arrested for being in a fight at school, anything like that, they legitimately picked me up and threw me on the hood of the car. Didn't say one word to me, and I didn't say one word to him. Literally picked me up and threw me on the car, and I was a 13-year-old kid. He was white, I was white. No racial deal there at all. But he thought he was Billy Badass, and I thought I was a badass kid, but I didn't do anything to him. I didn't even say nothing to him. I walked straight up to him like, okay, here we go. Like, I was getting arrested. I fought somebody. Again, I thought I won, <laughs> and I left. So I got caught. I was getting arrested. Shouldn't have been body slammed. Stuff like that happens every day, and I wish there was something that could be done to stop it. I don't see it happening. It's been going on for bazillion years. We see TV shows and movies where sheriffs and deputies can do whatever they want. It has been like that for a very, 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 very long time. I know that's movies and TV shows, and that's not reality, but in a way, it is. Maybe not to the full extent of the movies and shows in Hollywood, but in a way, it truly is. And I've seen it on many different levels, many different occasions. But racism in 2020 should be eliminated. I don't understand why these things keep happening. It's ridiculous. It really is. We are all people. We all are doing the same thing, just trying to survive and make the best out of our lives. Or even if you're not trying to make the best out of your life and you're just living and you're just here, that's okay. That's your opportunity, your choice. We all have that choice. No matter skin, race, gender, none of that. I just really wish there wasn't that many people in this world that think that that's okay. I know I just went on probably a 10 minute rant on this, but it really, really is upsetting. It really is. This shouldn't be happening at all. Let's get to something a little lighter. So obviously we have been going through this coronavirus, COVID-19, quarantine, virus swept over the entire world. Well, some things have been opening back up. Illinois is about to open on May 29th, on Friday. Everything's going to be outdoors, and there's not going to be indoor restaurants and stuff like that for at least a little bit longer, but we're going to be able to see each other a little bit more. I guess social distancing, but we're going to be able to go to the restaurants and go to the bars if you want to, do that kind of stuff. Drive-ins are opening. I saw that the Super Bowl in Peru is grilling out food and having a bar outside through the weekend for people to come out. Things are like that are happening. Well, in Florida, they open the beaches. There's a couple people that don't like it and are still very, very worried about this virus. So in South Walton, Florida, a lawyer, Daniel Ofelter, dressed up like the Grim Reaper and is walking around the beaches in Walton County telling people that the coronavirus is still very serious and that the beaches should still be closed. That is definitely the crazy story of the day. The crazy story that I saw today. It's kind of like, what? <laughs> You're dressing up as Grim Reaper to tell people to get off of the beach. But it's still crazy. I understand people are still scared, but if you don't want to be on the beach, don't go to the beach. You can protest all you want, but you're still out there. He is fully clothed. He's got a mask on. But you can't tell other people to not live their life or not do things that they want to do 
when they have the opportunity to. So you can protest all you want to, but that doesn't mean you have to involve people that are just trying to spend their Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon for a few hours chilling at the beach because that's what they want to do. Leave people alone. Dress up with the Grim Reaper stuff with a sign and walk by the parking lot. Okay, that's your right. That's your opportunity. I do understand that this virus thing is probably not over, and it is very serious. Like, a lot of deaths have happened. Again, we're all human beings, and they're going to do what we want to do. People are going against the government, saying, hey, we're shutting stuff down, you can't do this. People are listening, and, then, and that's their opportunity, their First Amendment right, constitutional rights. And do what you want. If you don't want to be around that, you have the choice to stay at home and not be around that. If these people want to go to the beach, when the beaches are open... They can do that. And they don't need Grim Reaper walking around. Thought I would share that. That's a pretty crazy story that I heard today. Dressing up like it's Halloween in the beginning of the summer. In Florida, it's already super hot. I mean, it's been 75 to 80 in Northern Illinois. So I can just imagine what it's been in Florida. Well, without making you wait any longer for Brant Vanderman, we got the crazy story done talked about some racism and some current event stuff that is going on we will be back on friday and then we will kick off a regular scheduled programming i know i've said this like two or three times and i apologize for not being able to get on a schedule but i think i'm finally able to do this we're going to try for monday wednesday friday from here going on out i know it has been like five or six times and i've been pushing and pushing and pushing and life has just not worked out the way we'd like to. But RC Podcast will be here. Not going anywhere, I promise that. Promise, promise, promise. So, until next time, peace. Looking out the windows of my apartment, it's raining, so I don't know if we'd be on the baseball field anyway. But it stinks right now during this corona, COVID-19 quarantine. You won't see games at a baseball field. You won't see people doing batting practices, anything like that. And it's affecting a lot of people, including my guest today, Hall alum and Parkland College freshman, Brant Vanneman. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Doing all right, but I'm kind of disappointed I can't go to any games. As a lifelong baseball player, I'm sure you're feeling the same way. Yeah, uh, be honest with you, I don't really, don't really know what to do. I haven't been bored and never been uh, put in this situation yet, so lots of free time on my hands. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like we we grow up and we're busy, busy, busy. Whether it's sports or work or school or something is always going on. Uh, you know, gatherings, family, friends, and then all of a sudden this virus comes along and it's like a skirt. Nope, we're not doing nothing. Yep. Yeah. It's. Uh, I guess I really don't have an excuse for uh, for schoolwork anymore. So that's the one thing I. Ha- I haven't had to worry about too much lately, so usually that get that over with, and then uh, after that, it's just kind of trying to figure out what what I can do. But it's hasn't been too bad. So you're not going crazy yet? No, no, <laughs> not 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 yet, but pretty soon. <laughs> Definitely. So we'll start right there. We we're talking about school. You are at Parkland College in Champaign. Yes. Yep. What are you going to school for? Business marketing. Okay. Okay. What do you hope to do with that? I mean, from that, I, you know, kind of, I plan on to branch off just find you know, different stuff, but hopefully, you know, working uh, in the sales or, like, advertising. 
how is online classes like i never had to do that i obviously was in school it seems like three million years ago but but um never had to do that you know everything was on the class how is it different from learning online through a computer compared to being in the classroom when i was previously at uh at kent um i was put in mainly online classes just due to for you know baseball reasons just because it was easier to you know not miss out on any schoolwork but I personally like them just due to the fact that, like, you can always work ahead. That's, like, the main thing. So I can always, like, work a couple weeks ahead on homework so I don't get behind on anything. But, uh, I don't know, I don't have a problem with it. A couple of my friends, they don't like it because they're just not used to, I guess, you know, trying to find out where the schoolwork is and just dealing with all that. But, like, right now, with the classes that I'm taking, I'm I'm doing pretty well. The only problem is my two science classes... They have labs, and I have to do those online now. And, I mean, that's kind of difficult just because you have to, like, take pictures and do all that type of stuff. But, I mean, I don't have any problem with it. I, I, I like it just, just so I can work ahead. So do these labs mean you're, like, dissecting mice and frogs in your kitchen? It's, thank, thank God, no. But uh, <laughs> there's, for, like, my, uh, for, like, my bio, I had to, like, get this bio kit and it comes with like all these beakers uh gloves just all this type of stuff and it's like you have to read these directions and i i have no idea what half of it even means so sometimes i kind of just have to roll with it and hopefully i'm doing the right stuff and then you have to like take these quizzes it's it kind of gets annoying but it's it is what it is it's schoolwork. it can always be annoying yeah, I mean, if the if the labs were in school, at least the you know the teachers there, so you could ask questions and actually understand it. I think that's the only problem is like not having a uh, a teacher around or some sort of help. I always made fun of the kids that had teachers as parents, like, oh, you're just you know a nerd, all this other stuff. Now yeah. it seems like if you had a parent that's a teacher, you have a one up on the world right now. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, it really comes down to it's like you're going to get the answers, you know. It's just like, and then other people are going to be asking you. And yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's kind of hard for a parent to say, uh, no, I won't help you. So, yeah, it's yeah. True. It is true. We are in a crazy time right now, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, I never thought something like this would happen. No, and you watch the movies, like the apocalyptic movies, and I read a lot, so I've read a lot of books like this, and you never think like, oh, this is going to be real life one day. We're going to be like quarantined, and there's going to be stay-at-home orders, and restaurants and bars are going to be closed down, and you know, Walmart's going to be limiting how many people are in there. You have to do curbside pickup, and all this other stuff that's going on right now, you would never, ever think that it's a thing. Yeah, I remember like, we just started our season. And we're still playing, and, like, U of I, you've got, their, like, all the Big Ten programs, and they canceled their season. I remember, like, we were still playing, and I'm like, no, nah, we'll still play. Like, maybe they're just postponed. Like, I never thought it would be, like, this serious, but now I'm looking back at it. I'm just like, yeah, that's, I guess they did make the right move. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, we would all love our life to, you know, return to as normal as possible. I don't think our lives are always ever going to be the same as they were before, but... I mean, I guess for the health of everybody else, I think we're doing the right things. Oh, yeah. I guess the social distancing, I mean, it's going to be the fastest way to, I guess, to stop the spread and, you know, start to make, a, I guess, a, an increase in 
I guess healthiness in all in general. Being healthy should be our number one priorities. I know we all need to make money. I know we all want to play sports. I know we all want to, you know, be in the classroom and do stuff like we've been doing it. But you know, we got to stay healthy and make sure we're not knocking off our own race. Sooner or later, it'll uh, it'll get back to normal, but it's just a matter of time right now. You just mentioned you guys uh, were still playing for a little bit. You got 13 games in. So I'm going to run through your stats real quick with Parkland your first year. So you played 12 games. You had 38 at-bats, 12 runs, 12 hits, two doubles, a triple, a home run, four RBIs, six walks, 10 stolen bases, and you had a batting average of 316. Not too shabby for your first time playing with Parkland? Yeah, uh, personally... In the beginning, it was uh, it started off slower than expected. I think I was just you know putting too much pressure on myself, just coming you know obviously from uh, a D one program. I feel like I was trying to show what I could do, so I was putting all this pressure on myself. And obviously, the results were showing, but the coaches already knew I could play. And once I said you know screw it, I'm just I'm just going to play. Everything else just started to, just started to click. So it made the game very enjoyable when I started to actually get on base for some odd reason i decided to do this backwards so we'll go parkland kent state and then we'll go hall if that works for you yeah that's perfect perfect all right so while at parkland i mean 13 games in i can understand the nerves and you know trying to get back to you know the old brant vanneman and you were a two-time news tribune baseball player of the year crazy numbers but you walk in and you know, things might be exactly easy, but it seems like you were starting to get back into rhythm. I don't know. The one thing that I learned is, like, I mean, you're always going to have the nerves. I mean, I personally do before every start of the season. I mean, if you keep playing at the highest levels of baseball, people are always watching, so you always want to do your best. But I think sometimes I let that get to my head too much, and then I don't, you know, show what I can do, but... I just start to, now every time I just, you know, I just screw it. I just kind of block out whoever's in the stands or whatever. I just kind of play my game. And then from there, the, you know, good at-bats will come, good defensive plays will come, and everything will start to follow. I mean, that's that's something that I noticed when I was at Parkland because, like, I, it was the uh, first two, I would say first two weeks, it was like I was having, you know, good at-bats, but there would be a strikeout there, here and there, and, you know, obviously you don't want – you don't want those. So then I was like, I'm seeing a ball. I'm just missing it. So, you know, what am I doing wrong? And started pressing a little bit too much and watching my, you know, at-bats every game. And I just kind of talked to the coaches and, you know, I was putting good swings on everything. And when everything was good, it was just more of a mental thing. So then I just kind of cleared my head and just said, screw it. I'm just going to go, you know, go play baseball and have fun. And then from there, the couple doubles came in, the walks started coming in, the stolen bases, so it was enjoyable. Is it easy for a baseball player to kind of get, I guess, anxious could be a word. I mean, you want to hit, you want to show everybody oh. at a new program, hey, this is what I can do, or, you know, your coaches and things like that, like, hey, this is why you brought me in, and then things don't go the way you want to because maybe you got too anxious and tried too hard. Oh, yeah, for sure. I was a perfect, perfect example of that. I was kind of doing that, and I was just like, man, like, this is kind of frustrating because, like, there would be a couple times where I struck out or I just missed hit a ball and I flew out to, you know, the infield or, you know, the outfield. And uh, 
I would just kind of be walking back and just trying to like think to my head, like, you know, like, what am I doing? Is it going to start to click? The coaches would just kind of smile and laugh and be like, just relax, you know, like, we know what you can do. You just came from a big program. Like, you obviously did something right to get there, you know, just with just with your size in general. And just don't even worry about, it. you know, they kept saying it's early in the season. Big things matter when it comes to the post play and hopefully make it to the Nationals. The main reason is just to make sure, you know, you know, just don't press and just have fun. But with baseball being such a mental game, sometimes that's just hard to do. What I like about Parkland, although it's a junior college team or school, in baseball world, it's pretty much like a four-year. Obviously, you're only there, too. Oh, yeah. But the competition you guys play and the level of play that, you know, the Parkland coaches want you to play at, it's it's out of the JUCO level, if you ask me. Yeah, like, I honestly didn't know too much about junior college baseball, but when I got there, I mean – those coaches, like, they're awesome. I can't ask for any better coaches. Like, they they want the best for everyone. They work hard to make sure we're, we're put in the, you know, best possible position to succeed in the game and to succeed out of the game. So if that's with life or even um, to move on to, you know, a D1 program. But, like, competition-wise, I mean... There will be teams, and I know that there's teams all across the country that are that are better than D1 programs. There's a lot of guys that are, you know, those top-notch baseball guys. Um, a lot of them will go to D1, or not D1 programs, but JUCOs, because they only have to stay for a year, and then they can hopefully get that chance to get drafted. They don't have to stay the three years or until you're 21, like, D1 program. And how did Coach John Goble kind of bring you into the program? Like, how was he uh, welcoming and things like that? He was super welcome. So, obviously, Jimmy was there, so I was talking to him. Jimmy told him about me, and he kind of knew of my name, just, you know, being around this area, because that's where, obviously, Ty and Jimmy are from. He obviously knew what I could do just from here around, and, like, I, I just saw clips and stuff. He knew I could play, so he was super welcome, just you know, said how I would fit, you know, right into the lineup, how the culture here is, like, super energetic and just wanted to win, 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 had that win mindset. Didn't care who we were playing, if it was a D1 Juco, if, you know, he was looking forward to just crushing everybody and, you know, putting up 10 to 20 runs a game, just putting up numbers, just, you know, just being the alpha team out there and, that really brought me in, and once I got there, and with the practices that we could do, just due to weather reasons, I mean, I mean, it was awesome. Hitters would we would just hit, 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 hit was which was something I really liked, and even at like night, we would hit, hit even more. And I don't know, it, it was just something about the energy throughout the team, and it's just something I've never really. I mean, I have been part of teams, obviously, with great energy, but, you know, this this is just something different with Parkland Cobras, and I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of what they do over there. And how did it work with your game, how they implemented you into their system, or, you know, you moved from catcher to outfielder. I don't know if that was already a thing coming from Kent State. We can speak about that. But how did they work with you, you know, kind of adapting Brant to Parkland and Parkland to Brant? For outfield, I mean, at Kent, I was already doing that, so that wasn't really a big transition, but I guess going to Parkland, it was just more of, like, they were less worried about 
I don't know, your mechanics, I guess, in the outfield of, like, you're doing your drop step and just, get, like, reading the ball. And obviously they have to know, if, you know, if you can read the ball or not in the outfield. But their big thing was just play hard and just catch the ball. So when they were saying that and I didn't have to worry about, you know, drop stepping or doing all this, like, it just it just made everything easier. Like, it just, the game was just so much less stressful. You know, I was having fun out there, you know. Us outfielders were just choking around, like, throughout innings, just, you know, chit-chatting. But, you know, obviously when it came to came to that pitch, we were, you know, locked in. But I think a, a big thing, too, at Parkland, just playing, you know, those 12 or 13 games, whatever it was, um, just being, like, less stressed in the game, just having a free mind, that's just something I really never had. So that was a very good experience, super enjoyable. Awesome, very cool. You had just mentioned that Jimmy was there coming to Parkland, playing with a former Hall Red Devil teammate. That had to be a pretty cool experience to, uh, you know, regroup. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, Jimmy's like my my little brother anyway. So just, you know, being around him, just playing baseball with each other again and just, you know, obviously always giving each other a hard time. That's just, you can't really beat it. And... With, with him knowing me for so long and vice versa, I guess if we, you know, see something, you know, in the game or out of the game, you know, we know what to do. We'll help each other out. We'll say something because, like, we know what to say to each other to kind of get under our skin to make a change. So I guess it's always good to have somebody like that around. When you guys were in, like, the dugout or practice field, things like that, how was the camaraderie? Was it just like, hey, we're, we're back? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I, I remember it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was the first game, and, you know, he would just come up to me and just, he, he'd be like, you know, it's it's your time to shine. Like, you got your chance now to, to prove, like, what you can do. And, you know, that, that did hit me because it was like, yeah, I, I do. Obviously, there would be, there was a couple times throughout the game where you could see I was kind of getting on myself just because how, you know, competitive I am and how much I want for myself. So, he would just kind of like pat me on the back, just saying, "Hey, like, like relax, like you're good." Like you just showed something right there, even if it was a you know a ground ball to the shortstop. I mean, he goes, "You you, you just busted your butt down the line," you know. He goes, "Now you can show that you can you can run." He goes, "Just the game will come." So having like those those words kind of said to you are nice. Um, even when he's pitching too, you know, being in the outfield, center field, actually. He knew every ball that was, you know, hit that way. I told him I was catching it, so he really had nothing to worry about either. So I think that was a, a good mental note for him, too, pitching, so he was less stressed. You'll probably know the catches that he was talking about, but I already talked to Jimmy D'Angelo, and he said that you have made two of the best catches that he's seen in person. I know the one. I would say I had a pretty good one. I just remember... Uh, the ball, it was a line shot hit to um, the right center. And our right fielder, he was a few steps away. And I just remember when the ball was hit, I just put my head down and ran. And then kind of peeked up a little bit at the ball to see where it was. And then as I peeked up, I was looking at our right fielder to see where he was. I don't, he wasn't going to catch it either. So I took about two more steps, just put my head down and just dove as far as I could. And Next thing you know, I realized that it, the, I, the ball was in my glove. That saved, I think, maybe two runs. My glasses were completely smashed on my face. 
I kind of like stood there kind of confused for a sec I, you know, whipped my head off the ground. So instantly I thought I was concussed, but I, luckily I wasn't. And then I, I don't know, I just I just caught it. I, I kind of wish they had it on tape, but everyone was going crazy. So defensively, it was, it, yeah, it, it was a pretty sick play. I kind of wish it was on tape too, because now I want to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. There, there's pictures of me diving and then face planting in the ground, but uh, no, no video. Well, I'm glad you didn't hurt yourself doing that, but it sounds like it was awesome. Yeah, it, it was awesome. It was. Uh, it was a good, uh, good adrenaline rush. Good, uh, good play to kind of wake up everybody. You know, get the energy back throughout the dugout. So just stuff like that in general too. You know, gets everybody going. So it's, it's fun. Now, you come from Parkland after going to Kent State. You're still a freshman in terms of college eligibility when you get to Parkland. What exactly happened at Kent State coming out of Hall? So, obviously, my freshman year at Kent, you know, I redshirted, which, I mean, that was, I needed that. That was a, that was a really good experience, you know, just working at my game, keep developing. You know, I needed that year to do that. And then coming back, obviously, after that redshirt year, you know, my chances of getting in the, in the lineup card are a lot greater. So obviously everything was, you know, going well. They started putting me out of their positions, so basically a utility guy. I was still getting reps in the outfield, but then I started working at, uh, at first base a little bit more, and then I actually started catching again. Through the, the two-week period before we, we went home on Christmas break, they call it, like, individual practices because, like, for – D1 programs, they can only they can only have, like, so much time with you. We would have uh, catching indies for, like, uh, probably like for, like, 30 minutes or so, 30, 40 minutes. So I started getting work at that mostly during that time, go on Christmas break, come back, and then I was just kind of, I was talking to my roommate, and because um, we were super close. I, I, I lived with three other guys, but I was talking to one of them, and, uh, you know, I was just kind of telling him, like, what, what I was thinking, and he kind of understood, like, you know, where I was going about how, like, the coach, like, for me personally, I, I didn't think they knew, like, had an idea of, like, where they actually wanted me to, to, like, put me. I was worried about, like, focusing on one or two positions so I can get, like, better at that, you know? Go back to practice started working and then at that time it was just doing catching stuff so in my head i'm like well you know i'm losing reps in the outfield not really working at first base anymore i'm just not liking what you know things are doing right now started doing that wasn't really happy anymore practices would happen and it was weird because like since i was taking on like online classes i didn't have to like go to school so i would just like wake up and I wasn't really looking forward to practice. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but, like, I knew something was wrong with me thinking that, you know, because, like, I never thought about that. I just kind of kept asking myself and just waiting to see what the coaches would do about, like, I didn't really see throughout that time, like, them having a plan for me. You know, little details went on throughout that. Talked to my parents, talked to my roommates about it. They saw the position I was put in and didn't think it was you know, the best fit because they knew I could play. So had uh, had a meeting with the coach and kind of told them what, what I was going through and kind of asked them, like, you know, like, do you do you have a plan for me? Because, you know, playing baseball at the, at the next level, you have to have a plan to obviously hit that dream mark of, you know, playing at the highest level of obviously getting drafted. 
he kind of said some things there that, you know, didn't really uh, hit. Like, they didn't really say too much. And obviously, it was a respectful conversation. You know, I wished him the best of luck. Kind of, like, walked out, and from there, it was history. But with it being such of a, a late choice, it was a hard thing to do just because of the relationships I built with those guys on the team. That's, like, the main reason why I didn't want to leave. Because I, I had to play. I couldn't miss out on another year. Like, I had to play. So they knew it was the right choice, and they wished me all the luck, and they knew where my head was, and it was the right thing to do. So going to Parkland was the best choice I've ever, ever made in my life. So I, I haven't regretted it once. Awesome. I'm good that you got yourself into a position that you're, you know, you're happy with. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, for me, it was just tough because, like, I still talk to those guys at Kent, you know? Like, we're talking about seeing each other. Like, that that's the only reason why I stayed at Kent that long. It was just because of the guys on the team. Like, every day, like, they made it a super enjoyable experience. Like, I can, I, can, I can honestly call them, like, especially my roommates, just because, obviously, I lived with them for so long. Like, my brothers, like, it, it, was, it, was, it was tough leaving them. It was tough because last night I was there, a lot of them, or a couple of the guys came over to say goodbye and we kind of just hung out it, it, it was tough but uh for you know for baseball coming in and wanting to play at that next level and obviously being competitive and doing what's uh, best for you sometimes you gotta sacrifice some things and this was just one of the things so you know i just you know, sometimes you just gotta do what you gotta do definitely speaking about you know doing what you gotta do you mentioned red shirting at Kent State. Coming out of Hall, the best player in this area. Honestly, I've been doing this for 15 years. You're one of the best players I've seen throughout that whole entire time in high school baseball. So going into college, you probably had big expectations for yourself and wanted to do the best that you can and, you know, want to make the roster and, you know, yeah. get dubs and stuff like that. So going into Kent State, I know looking back at it now, you're like, hey, that redshirt year, I learned so much. I improved this. I developed this. But going in, you probably didn't think that, did you? No, no, not at all. Going in, you know, I was like, obviously I had conversations with my dad, you know, before going how, like, I'm going to have to work my butt off, you know, every single day to get in that lineup. But, I, I mean, I did do that. But just knowing how I could play, I'm like, I'm going to have, like, a good shot here. Like, this is going to be a fun year. But I kind of had a big, big reality check of being that freshman coming in and kind of, like, restarting things almost. It was a good learning experience. Um, it's, it's a completely, completely different from, I guess... Going to, you know, uh, middle of August, you know, attending Kent, obviously I knew I had to have a, a chip on my shoulder because I know I'm pretty decent throughout baseball. So having that chance on the lineup, I thought his practices hit, kind of had a, a big reality check. Um, it's kind of like uh, uh, a freshman, incoming freshman, you know, attending high school, just kind of like the, the major difference. Practices were, you know, starting to happen you know i was still having a, a pretty good time but pace the pace of the game picks up instantly so the pace throughout practice was really fast and that's something that that i had to pick on pick up on quick but and that i i would say that took me about a good a good two weeks the pitchers in general too being top notch so i did struggle at the plate for a good you know two weeks i would say just realizing the picking up, you know, the curveball, the change ups, and being on time with the fastball. Because I mean, at that level, 
I mean, you're going to see guys that throw velo consistently. So that was one thing that I had to pick up on quick. And, you know, I had to make adjustments to my swing. And I, I think with, with high school, like, that's the major, like, difference. Like, you don't see guys with top-notch consistently at the at the high school level you'll see i don't know one, one maybe every other week or so I, it, it depends like what team you play I, I i should say but you know going to college all the guys in our lineup i mean it didn't matter who, who we were seeing you're going to see a top-notch guy so that was a big reality check too so when i wasn't succeeding at at the plate then i started to push i started to think too much what I should have done is just just kind of slow everything down a little bit, take a you know take a breather, and just let the game come to me. And I think towards the towards the end of that fall, I think that was a big thing that that I've learned because we always have fall meetings with, uh, with the coaches that like what they saw, what I need to prove on, and like they knew I could play. They noticed how much pressure I put on myself. Just, but I think that's just being a competitive thing. And they said once you slow things down and. You know, just work on your game a little bit more and your, you know, your back-to-ball skills. When the spring came along, obviously I redshirted. Watching the game, I learned so much, too. Watching a game and being into it, like, the things that you can learn, like, if it's a sequence of a pitcher, like, how they get in rhythm, how you can, if you want to steal a bag, if you're at second, if you'll notice if they, if they keep looking twice, you know, they're not going to look three times, so you can just butt, bust your butt to third and, you know, you'll be safe. Um, how the how the catcher sets up behind the plate, you know. Sometimes if they widen out their feet a little bit more, a curveball's coming. So then you can read, okay, a curveball's coming. So that so now you know that when you're hit. Just little stuff like that is something that I learned my red shirt year too. If all in general it just it helped me a lot just going to the next year. And obviously I with all that I brought that into Parkland so it all worked out. Was it weird to you going from a D1 program to a JUCO program? Not at all honestly because a lot of the guys that we have came from D1 programs. You said going to Parkland wasn't a regret. Was going to Kent State a regret? No not at all. Kent State it was a good place to help me develop my game if that was mentally or physically there i got faster stronger i was able to understand the game more with it being little details you know throughout the game if it, if it was crafting my game on how to read a ball in the outfield or reading a pitcher all just all that type of stuff kent state was a, a perfect place for all that i like how you're looking at it positively i mean there's a lot of guys that would have been like man i didn't get to play you know i'm not going to stay there you know kind of like that ah, be rude to the program or anything like that but just feel like not happy but you're like hey i learned a lot of stuff you know i improved me physically the game mentally like that's that's awesome that you can look at it in that point of view yeah yeah i mean it it, it was a it was a super good experience i mean the the coaches are you know they're there for you sometimes if you you know if you have certain questions you can always ask them the guys, you know, the teammates that I had, I mean, they're all a great group of guys, you know. We are all playing at the highest level of, you know, college baseball, so we are all learning from one another, and it was just something, you know, to pick up on, and uh, I can't take that away. That's something that, you know, I'm grateful to have, so it, it, was, a, it was a very good experience. While you were at Kent State, did you see anybody that you could 
possibly seeing the pros in the next few years? Oh, yeah, for sure. Luke Albright, um, that kid, he works his tail off. We always, you know, mess with him and call him a psycho and everything. But, I mean, that kid is one of the hardest workers I've ever been, been around. He's uh, for sure what, uh, a guy that's... If he doesn't make it through through baseball, he's for sure going to make it through life with, with it being a good job or anything in general. That kid works his tail off. My one roommate, he's another pitcher, Max. That kid on the mound, is he, he's gross. I mean, obviously through school, we always give him a hard time because, you know, school school's not too much of his thing. But if, uh, if he cleans up his act with that, I mean, he'll go. What's his last I mean, name? Max what? Ripple. Yeah, he's, he's from Fort Myers, Florida. But uh, those are two of the main guys. I mean, there's, honestly, there's so many other guys that I can name off. But, I mean, if I do that, well, I'll just be naming guys off. And it'll kind of get boring. But, <laughs> I mean, they know who they are. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I wish them the best, and they deserve it. I mean, all those guys, all those guys I can't are, are hard workers, and they want the best. And, obviously, they're playing college baseball for a reason, so... Definitely. Well, thank you for helping my listeners' fantasy baseball teams in you know the next five or so years. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you. I'll, I'll give you an update. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. All right. Obviously, all of this started Kent State, Parkland. What you're doing now at Hall High School? You guys win the state championship, Class Two A, in 2018. I was doing radio broadcasts for that, and it was an amazing time to be a part of it. And it obviously had to be for you as well. And if they had an MVP of state tournaments, I would have definitely given it to you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, but I'm kind of kind of happy they don't because if they did, they should they should uh, give it out to everybody on the team because if it wasn't for everybody that was you know committed and wanted the best for everyone we would have we would have never made it there i do agree with that i'm not saying that nobody else had great performances tyra barchik oh, yeah. tyra barchik yeah. was awesome jimmy d'angelo you know picked up the win in the state championship game cam mcdonald came through tons of times for you guys chance resetich had a couple moments where like oh wow uh trez Rabarchik defensively as a freshman i mean you guys had a lot of people doing a lot of things but you at the plate i mean nobody could take that away from you as well yeah um i think with me it you know, it clicked at a perfect time because I look back and we, we kind of joke around. My at-bats throughout that whole entire the playoff race and going into the state finals, like, those were the best at-bats I've ever had. And from that, I think a lot of that generated off the with the bench that we had, too. I mean, they provided so much energy. They were, they were, into, they were into it every game. So having those guys, because they knew that was their role, just to provide energy on a team, and they loved it. That's pretty hard to find a group of guys that want to attend a baseball game and cheer their hearts out just to, you know, stay on the bench and not really play too much. But, I mean, they knew that that's what they were going in for, and they loved it. And, I mean, that's that's just hard to find. But, obviously, that all paid forward because, you know, it all worked to making the state finals and winning it all. So That is one of the most selfless things I think a high school kid can do is just be on yeah. a team, Put on a jersey and just cheer. Knowing you're not yeah. going to get in and just being there, that is one of the most selfless things ever. Yeah, I think they just loved it too because they know they could uh, they could be loud and scream and, and say some things that uh, 
they they could get away with to get under the the opponent's head. But uh, yeah, they loved it. It was awesome. It, it's something that I'll, I'll never forget. Do you still keep in contact with the Hall boys? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we still we still have our group chat from that 2018 year. We still talk. It's 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 a good experience. Since school is not in session right now and it's not going to be until hopefully, you know, next school year, but you're back in Spring Valley now, right? Yes. Yep. Back at home. So do you ever uh, run in, run across any of these guys? In my garage because I'm fortunate enough to have some weight equipment. So I'll work out in there and then usually uh, Chance Resetage and his little brother Mackie and Jim D'Angelo and Cam McDonald will come over throughout the day and they'll do their lifts and we'll see each other and we'll talk and I mean it feels like I see Jimmy every day now obviously because I, I lived with him at Parkland but I've been seeing yeah Jimmy, Cam, Mackie and Cam now almost every single day. So what I hear is that Brant Vanneman opened up the coronavirus YMCA. Yep yeah yeah sadly but no <laughs> sometimes you gotta sacrifice some things like i said before and i gotta get that work in so we wipe the equipment down though so we're staying you know pretty clean that's good gotta be responsible yeah yeah no we're, we're being safe about it that's nice of you to share your equipment with your friends good job oh yeah for sure it's kind of hard to say no because if, <laughs> if i was in their position i'd be like yeah i, I have to come over like, I have to, I have to get a little lift in. <laughs> but like, if you're closing that door, I'm going to break it down. I'm coming in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's great. That's great. Well, changing the subject from baseball, there was a documentary called The Last Dance about the Chicago Bulls 1997-98 season. And you were born in 2000, so you didn't get to be part of it in real life. But going back and watching that, what did you think about Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and the Chicago Bulls? Oh, I mean, they were a freak of athletes. The way I saw it was the things they could do, like, back then at that time, and obviously at that level, if they had, like, the proper training, you know, the nutrition, and if they had all that back then, they would be, like, I don't know, even more lights out, I guess. It's just crazy to to see, especially the, the in the era they played, too, of, like, the fouls and... You can get away with the, the hand-checking and the pushing, and, like, you can go up and just completely deck somebody and not get ejected. And MJ would still put up 50, 60 points a game. I remember all those Jordan plays, and I remember that team is... We got to the, the NBA Finals, and they, you know, take out Utah Jazz. And I remember saying to my mom, I'm like... Maybe Carl Malone and John Stockton, the Utah Jazz, should win this just so they have a ring. And then I think I thought about it for a second. I'm like, no, Jordan's getting another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he had that alpha mentality. He wasn't going down. I mean, obviously, I didn't watch him at all just because I was just so young. But uh, just watching that last dance, it just being just so competitive and working his tail off, that's just something I really... I've really uh, learned, and that's why I mean he, that's why he got the rings that he got. Although you did not get to see him live, is he your top NBA player of all time? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. That just speaks to the legacy of Michael Jordan because I have asked 
tons of people that question. I'm going to say hundreds of people the same question, all ages, and 90 five percent of the time it's michael jordan doesn't even matter if you didn't see him play live it it didn't matter it's him i think just watching the highlights on youtube of him i mean just because i mean that's the only stuff that i really could watch and yeah he's definitely still the top you know top three of my all-time list who would be the other two uh kobe and lebron that seems to be everybody's three. If you got to do a top yeah. three, that's I mean, the three. You, you can't, you can't beat that three. Nah, I don't think so either. Like that's the top three. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And if LeBron had Michael Jordan's killer instinct, I don't think anybody would top LeBron. But he didn't have that extra factor that Jordan did. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, people argue about like the competition that MJ faced, but I mean, if you look at it now, I mean. None of those guys play defense still. And, I mean, if you, like, barely nudge a guy, they call a foul where MJ would get completely ran over. And, I mean, they would call it, but it would, it would just be, you know, your regular foul. Oh, yeah. Fouls in the 1990s are flagrant 500s today. Yeah. If they did that, you would be suspended the whole year. <laughs> yeah. And you'd be getting um, fined and all kinds yeah. of other stuff. Yeah, a whole bunch of stupid stuff. They would be calling the NBA like the Slaughter League or something. Like, they'd make yeah, up a name which, for it. Honestly, I think they need to lighten it up a little bit because it, it, it has gotten soft, I think, personally. I totally agree. And we just mentioned LeBron. I think LeBron is, like, the the guy that you would say has kind of made it this way. Yeah, I mean, I think he has made it that way, but he knows, like, just with his status, he can get away with it. Like... He likes it in that way just because it helps out his game, I think. Yeah, oh, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Because you can see, like, there's been tons of video clips, YouTube, where there's somebody that doesn't even touch him, and he jumps like somebody just, like, racked, oh, yeah. knocked him out in the face. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it doesn't go his way, then obviously he's going to complain about it, and then, you know, next play he'll get the call. But, uh... I don't know. It, it, it's stupid. I, I usually don't watch the NBA until, like, when it comes to the playoffs or if it's, you know, decently good teams to watch. Like, I'll, obviously, I'll watch the Lakers now consistently. But, uh, I mean, I just won't. If it's any other team, I just don't put it on to watch. Just because, I don't know, it's just sometimes it's just, it's like I wash. Gotcha. You, you got a dog friend behind you, huh? Yeah, I do. <laughs> What's your dog's name? Jeez. What's your dog's name? Uh, Gia. I got two. Gia and Gizmo. Gia and Gizmo are going at it. They want to be on the podcast too. Oh yeah, she's she's trying to get her she's trying to get her name out there. <laughs> well, well played because she did. Yeah. Well, Brent, thank you for joining Edge of Your Seat Podcast. As always, it's cool to catch up with you, and I'm glad you're doing big things in the baseball field once again, and I can only see big things in the future. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it.